HSD are experts in delivering tech solutions to the vet sector, working with clients such as the Department of Education, Skills and Employment, ASQA and the VRQA. HSD understand the complexities of VET, its systems and data. We specialise in systems integration, customer relationship management systems, Microsoft platforms and migrating organisations to the cloud. So whether you're looking for advice on integrating your systems, meeting your data reporting requirements or looking to gain insights into your stakeholders, HSD are here to help. Visit hsd.com.au or follow us on LinkedIn. From Clarefield and Associates, I'm Claire, and I'm pleased that you could join me for this episode of What Now, What Next? Insights into Australia's tertiary education sector. Today, episode 43 of the podcast, and this week it's David Reardon who joins me to discuss the current state of international education and what hope for the future. David has held a number of positions in his career which give him a unique set of insights into the sector and into our onshore and offshore opportunities. His focus in this interview on the sector and individual providers putting students at the centre of their plans is spot on. In our discussion, he recalls one of our earliest meetings at an international education conference in Adelaide. It was at a time when the sector was going through another crisis in relation to the education and safety of students, particularly those from India. At the time, I was the CEO of ACPIT, and I think it's fair to say that given the conduct of some private providers, David was probably expecting me to defend the indefensible on that panel session, and I didn't. I shared the sector's concerns about how the links between migration and education had been a key contributor, along with lax regulation, to the crisis that the sector found itself in. The government is now readying to reintroduce closer links between education and migration, and they should. But and it's a big but, they will need to be very careful in how they design and monitor the new arrangements that they're looking to put in place. To not do so will likely lead to a repeat of the quality and fraud we saw last time. A final note, despite the tensions in the sector a decade ago and the hostility between some parts of the public and private sectors, We needed a Team Australia approach to get the sector back on track and one which focused on the welfare of our students. We need to do the same this time, as David very eloquently points out. Enough from me. Here he is. Well, it's a pleasure for me to have an old uh, friend, uh, voice on the podcast joining me, guest I should probably have said, joining me this week, um, David Reardon, who is a name and a person um, that many of you will know, who's had a really distinguished career in international education, um, his role at um, at Sydney Institute uh, of TAFE, which is uh, way back in, in the day when David and I um, first met. So, David, thank you for making time available. There's an awful lot going on in in international education, not much of it good. And so I'm keen to 
to pick your brains um, and, and no doubt that will be your experience will be of, of great interest to, to listeners. So while I've sort of clumsily introduced you and, you know, noted that you, you've been in the sector for a while, um, or, although recently had stepped out in, into a different role, can you talk us through who you are and what your background is before we start to dig into some of the challenges in the sector? Well, thank you very much, Claire, and I really appreciate you inviting me on. Um, I suppose I'm a little bit concerned about your introduction when you said I was an old friend. I'm assuming you mean in terms of long term. Oh, I do. But, I meant uh, <laughs> when we were teenagers. That's what I meant. That's right. So, um, look, I have a strong background in uh, education and training, mostly in the vocational education and training sector, um, uh, probably about 30 years in, in total. Um, mostly as a senior executive. Um, from 2006 until 2010, I was the CEO of what was then the New South Wales Department of Education International. Um, it was a commercial part of the department and I had responsibility for all international students and all international projects in TAFE New South Wales and New South Wales government schools. So that was a very big portfolio. Uh, and then I was very honoured to have been appointed to the director of what was then called Sydney Institute of TAFE from 2010 until 2016. Uh, while I was there, it transformed um, it to Sydney TAFE, and it was one of the largest TAFE institutes in the country. Um, the centre of the city with seven colleges and 50,000 students. I was lucky enough to lead the institute to get the International Training Provider of the Year in 2012. Uh, and also Sydney TAFE, as it was known, was nominated for an export award in 2015. So it was a, a leader in international education. Um, and then in 2016, I joined the City of Sydney and I was Director of City Services for four years. Um, and people say to me, how did that link to international education or international students? And it was interesting because at any one time, I was responsible for all of the services into the city. So everything that, you know, the amenity of the city was basically came in onto my accountability. So everything you can imagine from garbage to um, cleanliness to parks and gardens to aquatic centres and so on. But what people forget is at any one time there are 1.2 million tourists or visitors coming into the city on a daily basis. So I had to make sure that that city was a welcoming place, not only for our domestic visitors, but of course all our international visitors. And part of that was at any one stage, any one day, we could have had up to 180,000 international students in the local government area. Um, and that's 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 uh, that was a very exciting time. Currently a board member on the International Student Education Agents Association. I was also a board member on uh, International Education Association of Australia, TAFE Directors Australia, and I was appointed to the Council for International Education in 2016 by the Minister for Education. And in recent months, moved back into full-time international education. Um, and uh, so I'm a consultant. My business is called Thalassa Consulting. And I've been, over the last four months, played a major role across the sector, uh, facilitating an industry roundtable, working with the Australia-China Business Council on their national conference and assisting a number of peak bodies plan for a post-COVID-19 world. And I have to say, Claire, I'm very excited to be back working in international education full-time. Well, it's good to have people with your 
deep expertise back in the sector at the moment because, boy, do we need them. But before we go on to talk about the sector, uh, two points to note. One, you've been uh, in amongst all of those achievements, you've been far too modest because pre-2006, in fact, back in the 90s, you had a key role in um, educating all the, the volunteers for the Sydney Olympics and then helped Australia take that model out to the world to, to help other Olympic cities um, upskill their, their volunteers. Isn't that right? Look, that's true. And I'm glad you reminded me. That was a very exciting part of my career that went for about 15 years. So it was uh, I managed the workforce, the training of the workforce for the Sydney Olympics and the Paralympics. That was both volunteers and paid workforce. Mm -hmm. And then the same in Athens, uh, also in the Winter Games in Italy, and the uh, Christian event in Hong Kong, and the um, Expo in Shanghai. So, yes, a, a, an enormous amount of work in that area. And, of course, that was actually taking the vocational education and training sector to the world. Um, because uh, a lot of this training of volunteers and workforce, well, they were receiving, you know, what we now refer to as micro-credentials or non-award programs, but it was a very exciting time for Australia. And I hear that in your voice when you reflect on it, and I also heard it when you were talking about your role at the City of Sydney and welcoming all of those, A, domestic uh, visitors, but B, um, crucial to our conversation today, uh, international students to the city. And uh, I won't get too carried away, but I do note that the the public discourse um, from, you know, leaders in the country, it's such a shame that we don't hear um, nearly as often as we should that sense of um, pride and excitement of, of welcoming um, guests to our country who, you know, we benefit so much from learning from them and um, and potentially have them as, you know, potential future, future residents. So I won't get all soppy on that. Uh, it does upset me. But nonetheless, uh, we are in a global pandemic. And I wanted to ask you if you could uh, put your hat on as a former uh, director of a, an institute. Um, if you were still running an institute today um, and you, you know, as you did at Sydney um, TAFE, you had on and offshore international students, have you given any thought to what, what strategies would you be deploying? How would you be getting through this terrible circumstance of closed borders and, and uncertainty for the future? Yeah, well, I, think, I think it's a really good question. I have to say, it's a question that I've been asking myself for the last 18 months or 14 months since COVID came along. Um, and I think it's really important, uh, probably longer than 14 months. And um, I think it's a really important question. And I, there's a number of strategies that I've considered. And I think the first strategy really, as uh, all providers should be considered, and I know they are, many are doing it, is be, firstly, I think it's making sure that we're checking on the welfare and well-being of all international students, uh, in fact, all students. Now, whether these be students studying face-to-face -face or online in Australia or offshore, um, it needs to be acknowledged that many of the students that were studying in Australia are now basically their, their home countries are in the middle of, of the worst pandemic ever. Australia, of course, as we know, has fared a lot better than most other countries. 
but many of our students are coming from countries where sickness and death are on the increase, no matter what's happening with vaccines, where economic, economic hardship is endemic, and where political instability is increasing. So we need to know that if we look back on the data from 2020, the top source countries, the five source countries, three of those source countries, uh, China, India, and Brazil, are countries that are undergoing incredibly difficult and complex times. And we need to be checking on our students um, to make sure, and I know many people are doing that, and that's part of what puts us ahead of the game internationally, is remembering that the students are the most important part of international education. And their well-being and their safety and their experience is critical. Also, I think I'd be checking on the welfare and well-being of staff. I mean, we need to be honest about this. There's been a large number of job losses and there's more to come. And our staff that are working with our students are critical. I mean, secondly, I'm a bit of a data nerd. Um, and I believe that data is critical to any business. And I'd make sure that data that's being provided by federal, state, local government, private companies, no matter who, that we're looking at it, and particularly data relating to commencements, visa applications, the awarding of visas, or granting of visas, source countries, competition countries, performance. I'd be analysing it. I'd be looking for trends. And in some ways, having evidence that you can actually start to make some predictions about the short medium and long term. Also, look, the policy development at the moment in international education, with state, federal, um, is a movable feast. There's so many different policies that are changing and are being updated, particularly in relation to health advice, quarantine, vaccine rollout, national and international COVID restrictions. Um, a lot of this varies across the nation. Um, and I'd be making sure that I was on top of this uh, and the decision makers were on top of it. And I'd be looking to the peak bodies uh, for their advice and information, whether it be IEAA, ICEA, English Australia, Universities Australia, the Accommodation Association, Student Accommodation Association, there's many of them. Um, the other thing is, uh, Claire, when I look at this, I don't know that there's ever been a time when an industry has been forced to just down tools, if you like, or stop. And this time should be used. And I think never before has there been a time to plan for the future. This is a crisis. And there's a very famous politician who said, never waste a good crisis. Um, and business who use this time, businesses who use this time to plan for the future will be the ones that survive. What will the post-COVID world for international education look like? Now, other industries have already been doing this, and I know we're moving into it, and that's planning for the future. Uh, I've been involved in a lot of scenario planning with a range of organisations, and that's looking at worst-case scenarios to most likely scenarios and looking at responses. And I think this is a really good exercise. And there are simple questions. Are the products that my institution or my provider offers fit for purpose for the future? What will international students want to study and how will they study in the future? Will they come for three years or two years? Will they do full qualifications? Can we come up with innovative models of study, you know, that suit students of the future? What's our technological um, uh, approaches? Can we really meet their needs technologically as well? But another one is what will the skills needs be both of Australia and the globe in the future? And this is what I'd be looking at. And I'd be planning for short-term, medium and long-term based on, on these kind of scenarios. 
Um, and the other two, I think, is really important is to say, as an organisation delivering, if you're delivering products to international students, you can't do it on your own. You need to be strong. There needs to be strong partnerships with government, with other providers, with providers in different sectors. So, you know, if you're a higher education provider, you should be making sure that you're in partnership with those in the school sector. So we need to be looking at an industry as a whole, but not just providers. There are other allied industries like, as I said, agents, international education agents, accommodation providers, um, tourism and hospitality. Um, and uh, I think that's incredibly important. We need to work as an industry. And the other thing is, and my final point here, Claire, would be to say, I reckon that if I was there as a CEO of a provider, I'd be putting students at the centre. I'd be surveying them. I'd be asking them. I'd be looking at the data associated with what students want, what students have thought of beneficial, and they need to be the centre. And I have to say, the document that's just come out from the federal government, Connected, Creative and Caring Australian Strategy for International Education, makes reference to students being at the centre. But we can't be making these decisions without students advising us. And uh, that's what I think I'd be doing. So that's my suggestion in terms of strategies. Um, excellent. Thank you. And you've ended on uh, where I want to go with my uh, next question about that consultation paper. So um, there will be, well, I'll put a link to that for anyone. I'm sure everyone has read it. If they're listening to this, they're interested in, in international education. But just in case, uh, we'll put a link in the um, show notes for the episode. So the Minister has just released that uh, consultation paper developed by the, the council that you formerly sat on and it suggests that institutions need to diversify their student cohort. Uh, the minister has spoken quite publicly about uh, reducing our reliance on China and India and that the sector needs to look at delivering more offshore and online education. Um, what do you think? How do these strategies stack up? Uh, can I just say before I ask your question, uh, but I mean, we can't get away from the fact that China and India are the two largest countries in the world. They don't have enough uh, of their own institutions and capacity to educate their own citizens. Um, all other things aside, they are going to be important in any country's international education future, aren't they? Look, I, I think you're right. And I understand that um, the minister's, the rationale for the minister's statements, and I've gone through this document very carefully. And I do think that, uh, Claire, you and I both know that, you know, a good business model can rely on diversification. Mm -hmm. You know, if we've got all our eggs in the one basket, then you're much more at the whim or the vagaries of what could happen into the future. I mean, who would ever have thought that a pandemic would come on down and have this impact. I mean, I remember not on the council, sitting in, not when I was on the council, but sitting in a meeting and talking about diversification and talking to providers and universities and, you know, raising a concern about the fact that, you know, um, our over-reliance, particularly on China and India, meant that we were, in fact, very, very vulnerable. Mm. And I remember you know, saying, what would happen if something happened with our relationship with China? And I remember somebody, this is going back many years, somebody saying, oh, that's never going to happen. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> here we are. They were, yes. Yeah, but here we are now with, 
two two issues in parallel. One is our relationship with China, and secondly, of course, the pandemic. So the the bottom line is this: that I think it's really important that there is a diversification. Uh, I think before we say anything, it needs to be said that to congratulate the council on getting this document out. It's an incredibly important document, and it's come out at a very important time. And it's got a kind of a horizon of 2030, so you know it's important.、Um, and it's also, I think, we need to say this industry is huge. I mean, I think we've forgotten that. Let's not talk only about the economic narrative, but over a 10-year period, it states in the document a quarter of a trillion dollars in export income and 250,000 jobs. The priorities. That they put forward a good advance Australian economy and society, enriches the experience of Australian students, meets future workforce skills, and builds strong links and soft-powered connections. Excellent. And once again, the reference to putting students at the centre is excellent. However, your questions about what about other strategies? Is there anything that's kind of missing, or anything that could be elaborated on? And I've put six very quick ones down, and I'll go through those very quickly. Claire, one is. I think there needs to be a greater involvement of the whole of the sector of the education industry, if possible.、Um, international education is not just the domain of providers; it's not just the domain of universities. And I've said before, there are others, and there are references to it、uh, in the document.、Um, I do think, Claire, this is a bit of a controversial one. There does need to be some strategies to talk about migration outcomes. Now, you and I, Claire, go back many years, and what happened was. I remember sitting on a stage with you in Adelaide when we talked about the nexus between migration and education, and、uh, I remember we were concerned that you know hairdressing was on the skills list, and you know, large numbers of students were coming and doing hairdressing. If they couldn't get into hairdressing, they were applying to go into、uh, air conditioning、um, maintenance,、uh, which was on the skills list too. And there was always these issues about we needed quality. Students who are coming here for the educational outcomes, not just migration outcomes. But it's time to look at this. Australia has zero net migration at the moment, and will do for some time. And if we've got students studying here, getting Australian qualifications, they should very well be, you know, given an opportunity to move into migration. The other one I think is that I'd be having strategies that really put industry at the table. Um, and、uh, and when I talk about industry, I talk about industry that's going to be employing people into the future post COVID. And I think we need to have industry there, big industry, whether it be you know、um, renewable energies, whether it be the mining industry, whether it be you know whatever tourism, hospitality. They need to be at the table. And finally, I've mentioned partnerships. I'll finish on one note, and that is that. We need to have strategies to get community support, because I think COVID has really put a hole in a lot of our support that we built up over years. Because people are concerned about the return of international students in terms of COVID, but we really do need to have a very clear indication of getting community on side, and I think we can do that through a range of strategies. So that's my suggestions. Well, as ever, that is.、Um... 
very thought-provoking and very thoughtful. But it has been such a pleasure to pick your brains. I really thank you very much uh, for taking the time and uh, I guess we will watch with interest um, both your work in the in the sector and hopefully that rebuild and reset um, that you've talked about. I think your strategies will give listeners a lot to think about. So thanks for making the time. Yeah, and listen, just to finish up with, can I just wish everyone all the best through this incredibly difficult time? And I know we'll get through this. It's very dark days at the moment, but the most important thing that we have to work on as an industry is working with government and everybody to try and bring international students back in parallel as soon as possible, in parallel to the return of Australians. Um, I wish everybody the best and thank you very much, Claire. Um, Absolute pleasure and a lovely note to end on. All the best. Thanks so much for your time, David. 